welcome you again. Uh, if we have not met, my name is David, and I serve as the senior pastor here. And if you are a guest with us, thanks for being here. Thanks for giving me the chance to share with you. We started this series several weeks ago, and we were intentional uh, to frame this as the first step we were taking towards our overall goal for the entire year, which is knowing Christ more tomorrow than we do today. That that's our hope and prayer for our entire church family as we move through 2017. And we wanted to start with a five-week focus on the Bible because we said the Bible is one of the most underutilized resources for anyone who has that goal in their life of knowing Christ. Whether that knowing is a deeper knowledge of, of a relationship that you already have with Jesus or simply trying to figure out who Jesus is and who he might be for you in your life. If you have that goal of knowing more, then the Bible is a resource that, that has incredible power and potential. And yet, even for those who would say, oh yeah, this is the book for me, I know as a pastor who has lots of conversations with people about the Bible, uh, is that you feel maybe a sense of intimidation of, of really investing in it. And so I want you to hear that the hope and prayer uh, of this series, these five weeks, is that at the end of it, you would feel two things. You would feel an increased sense of confidence uh, in investing in the Bible and also that you would feel an increased sense of desire. Now, along with that, there's some other things that we're doing in our church to, to help with that goal, one of which is I, I, we, I started a new pastor's Bible study on Wednesdays, 9.30 to 10.30, uh, meeting in our chapel. We had our first one on Wednesday, and the chapel was full. It was so awesome. We will see what happens next week. Maybe it was really bad, and it won't be full again. Uh, that'll be the real test. But if you're not available uh, Wednesday, 9.30 to 10.30, uh, I want you to know that we're also doing a Facebook Live Pastor's Bible Study at 11 a.m. on Wednesdays. That'll be available on Facebook, obviously, past that. And then we'll also put that uh, on some other platforms for those who hate Facebook and will never set up an account on Facebook. You know who you are, right? Yes, you do. You're proud of it. That's okay. All right. So, we've been talking about the Bible. Last week we looked at the question, what is the Bible? And I'm not going to uh, go through that entire message again. If you missed it, you can watch it online. But there's a few things that I want to reset for you uh, around that question, what is the Bible? Last week we talked about that the Bible actually is not a book, but it is one story. In other words, it's a book in the sense that it's within one binding there, uh, if you have it with you. But it's really better to think of the Bible not as a book, but as a library. A library of books that were written by a variety of different authors in several different languages over the course of thousands of years. It's, it, it's lots of different, uh, not only books, but also types of literature. And we looked at the table of contents last week and talked about the different categories of literature that we find in the Bible, just as when you go to the library, you would find books according to different categories, uh, in, uh, according to books that are there uh, in that library. The Bible is not a, not a book, but there is one overarching story. And the way in which we described that last week was that the story of the Bible is a revelation of God's desire for relationship with God's children and the full restoration of God's world. This, uh, these three are, are the ones we described as the three main characters of the Bible, God, God's children, and God's world. And today, we're going to unpack this even more. As we do, I want you to think about this word revelation. I want you to keep 
keep that in the back of your mind. Not in terms of the name of book number 66, okay? But in terms of the process of revealing, okay? Keep that in your frame of mind as we move through this, as we think about what does it mean that the Bible is a story, a revelation of God's desire for relationship with God's children and the full restoration of God's world. So the question we're going to look at today is one that many uh, people have asked me in the past when I asked for questions uh, last week. I, I heard this expressed in lots of different ways. And I'll tell you that it is the question that was the most significant question for me when I first started really engaging the Bible. And, and what I mean by that is, is not just sitting in church and listening to the pastor tell, you know, read from a couple of scriptures. I mean, when I first really started reading through this thing and I started thinking, well, does this make sense? How how does this fit with here? And, and, and trying to understand what the entirety of this, uh, of what, what is found here is all about. This was my most significant question. I know it's a question that many of you ask as well. And since you express it lots of different ways, here's the general way that, that we might think of it. The question is, how do I reconcile the different pictures of God I find in the Bible? Now, if you hear that question and you think to yourself, I don't know what they're talking about. It all seems really straightforward to me. You need to read the Bible more, okay? Uh, because some of that confusion will come out if, if you invest a little bit more deeply in the Scriptures. You'll find yourself in places thinking, wow, I, I don't know how this fits with this. There, there, there may be some confusion and, uh, and some internal struggle around that. How, how do I understand the God that seems to be revealed here in this portion with the God that Jesus speaks of? in the New Testament. It was one of my most significant questions. And again, I've heard it from many, shared a lot of different ways, but this is essentially what we ask. How do we reconcile the different pictures of God uh, that we may perceive, we may find in the Bible? So we're going to look at that today uh, by looking in, in a couple different places in the Bible. If you have yours, pull it out. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, please grab the blue Bible from the seat pocket in front of you. And I want to encourage you to find two different places. The first place that we're going to look is page one, okay? If you have your Bible with you, it's on page one. If you're using the blue Bible, it's on page one. Any Bible you have, it should be on page one. We're going to look at Genesis chapter one. The other place that we're going to look is in the Gospel of John. If you're using the Blue Bible, the Gospel of John begins on page 1646, so you can just look there and put your bulletin there just to, to hold that spot. We'll get to the Gospel of John in just a minute. I'm going to point out to you a few different places in the Scriptures that relate to this overall theme. Obviously, I could share with you many more, but then you wouldn't get lunch in time, so uh, we, won't, we won't do that. So we're going to begin on page one. And the beginning of Scripture begins in this way. Verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And this is familiar to many of you, and in a few weeks, we're going to do a series just on Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. So we'll talk about this in much more detail in a few weeks. But I want to point out a few things to you that we find here in the first three verses of the Bible. So these first three verses say something to us about God and God's relationship to the world that God has brought into being. 
One of the things that's helpful to keep in your mind as you read through Genesis 1 is that the writers of Genesis 1 are not ancient scientists, okay? So this is not your seventh grade science teacher talking to you about science. This, these are ancient theologians who are seeking to express an understanding of how this world came into being and what the Creator God did to bring this world into being. And so notice what these ancient theologians are saying about the origin of all life. So we begin with God, and we begin with this notion that God created everything that we see, and prior to the first act of creation, these writers describe the earth as formless, empty, and defined by darkness. That's what the earth was before the first act. And the first act of creation is God speaking to a world that is formless, a world that is empty, and a world that is dark. And what does God say to this world? God says, let there be light, and there was light. Light penetrated the darkness of what was there before. And when God speaks, this is really important, when God speaks, God's words are different than your words. If you're a parent and you say over and over again, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, or come here, come here, come here, come here, and nothing happens, God's words are different than your words. God speaks and something happens. God speaks and light comes. In other words, the thing that animates creation, the thing that brings life into existence is the Word of God. God simply speaks and light happens. God speaks and there is a divide between the sky and, and, and the earth. God speaks and there is vegetation that fills the earth. God speaks and there are animals to inhabit the earth. God speaks and human beings come into existence. The life that was given to all life originates in the word that God speaks, the way in which God breathes life into creation. In Genesis chapter 2, there's a slightly different picture here of how God created uh, humanity in particular. God decides to get his hands a little bit dirty, and he takes the dust of the ground, and he forms it into the shape of a man. Okay, at this point, this is just playing with Play-Doh, right? I mean, this is just, it's an inanimate object that God has formed, but it comes to life when, when God breathes into it, and God gives to this pile of dirt, that's what you are, without the breath of God that gives you life. That's what we find in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. Now, if you flip over with me to Genesis chapter 12, we find God's words again bringing to life something that did not exist before. God encounters a man named Abram. And God, in this encounter, by his word, creates something new. He says to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through 
you. So God's words create a covenant. God's words share a calling with Abraham. You and your descendants are going to form into a nation. And what we also find here in Genesis 12, particularly here in verse 3, is we find the original intent of the entire story. Remember, this is a story of God's desire for relationship with God's people, for God's full full restoration of God's world. In the very beginning of Israel's story, God says, all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. That's the purpose of this blessing. Not so that you can just march around and go, well, I'm blessed, I'm God. No, but the blessing you receive, the blessing you receive would be shared with the entire world. Uh, You don't have to turn there, but eventually we get to Exodus, and you know a little bit of the Exodus story. You know that Israel finds himself in a place where they can't live into this calling. And so God delivers them through Moses, and after delivering them from slavery, they find themselves in the wilderness. They're wandering, trying to find the promised land, and there in the wilderness, God is reshaping and reforming them as a people. He is is removing them. He's removed them from the physical bondage, but now he's also transforming their hearts and minds away from the spiritual bondage that they lived in. And one of the ways that he does that is by his word, he gives the law. Now, this is the part of the Bible that you probably got to and you got a little bit bored because you didn't know what it had to do with you. That's okay. Leviticus, a little bit dry. Here's the law. The purpose of the law was this. This is to order your life. This is to to order the way in which you live in relationship with one another. But it was also about establishing God's people as God's holy set-apart people. I want you to live differently, God says. And I want you to live differently, not just to be different, but rather to convey to the world this this story, to invite them to understand the God who you serve. And holiness was so important to God at this point in the story that God gives to Israel a tangible sign of his own holiness. Some of you know what that is. It was the tabernacle was how it was referred to, but it was basically just a big tent, a tent that moved with Israel wherever they were there in the the wilderness. It was a structure, and the purpose of it was to house the glory of God. Think of the word revelation. Keep in mind the word glory. Here's Here's a physical structure, and within it resides the glory of God. You can't see the glory of God, it's, it's so magnificent, you'd just fall over dead. But it, within this structure, within this structure, Israel understood was God's glory that was with them because they were God's covenant people. Now keep that in mind as you now turn to the Gospel of John. We're obviously jumping very far ahead in the story, but we're jumping to the story of Jesus and and how the story of Jesus connects with what we have already heard in uh, these particular portions of the Old Testament. So we turn to John chapter 1, and here's what we find. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, the word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, as you read these first three words, some of you may be thinking, well, that's weird. That's just how Genesis starts. Maybe John didn't know 
you know, he's looking at a blank page. How do I start? Well, how did Genesis? No, no, no. If you're wondering if there's a coincidence here, you are quickly becoming a biblical scholar. Pat yourself on the back. Very good. Because it's not a coincidence. John intends for you in your mind to remember, oh, this is how the whole story began. Because part of what John is articulating to you in telling the story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is that this is not a new story. This is a continuation of the story that we have been living in all along. And another way that we know that is because of the way in which John refers to Jesus. He calls Jesus the Word. And what did the Word do in the beginning? The Word is what gave life. The Word was with God. He was, he was there in the beginning. Go all the way back to the, the formless world, the darkness that defined it, and the way in which the world brought things to life. Through Him, the Word, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was, was, was made that, uh, that has been made. In Him was life, the same life that brought to life all of life, this word that spoke into the darkness and created light is now the light that is shining in this darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. If, if you're not catching it yet, let's turn to verse 14. Look at verse 14 of that same chapter. John says, the word, Jesus, became Flesh. This is how John tells the story of the birth of Jesus. There's no Bethlehem. There's no shepherds. There's no, no room at the inn. He tells it in a very different way. This is the Word becoming flesh. And this Word makes His dwelling among us. Well, what, what is that word dwelling supposed to remind you of? Well, you remember that thing called the tabernacle? Remember that tent, that, that, that structure that housed the glory of God? The Word became flesh, and, and He has taken up residence here among us. He has now inhabited our own world, and we have seen His glory. The glory that used to live in a, in a box that you couldn't really see. You just knew it was in there. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The glory that once was in a tent, in a temple, in a building that you could not see is now taken up residence in a person who you can see, who you can hear, who you can touch. That's who Jesus is. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Jesus comes to reveal, to be the full revelation of who God is and what God is like. So what does that mean for you when you wake up in the morning or whenever it is and you find yourself reading through 1 Kings 12? That's just what I turn to. That's, that's, that's how you sometimes pray, right? You just, what's the answer, God? 
Just kidding. Uh, when, when you find yourself there and you're trying to figure out, well, what does this mean for me in my life? And what does this mean for me as I think about it, how it applies to me? And what is the Word of God trying to speak into my life? Well, here's a couple different ways to illustrate this and to think about uh, what is happening as we engage the Bible. Here, here's one way that I've, I've expressed it in the past. When you begin reading on page one, you begin to see a picture of who God is. And in the original picture that you see, what you probably recognize is there are lots of things that are still hidden from you. There are lots of things that still don't quite make sense, but you get just a hint that behind this, if you were able to to back it out and to see a little bit broader picture that there really is something beautiful behind this. And as you continue to read page 10, page 50, page 100, you're on the second book, you continue to go through, through the Old Testament, the perspective that you have on this God also begins to grow and expand. And all along the way, if you're reading from page one all the way through, Again, this picture begins to grow of of who God is and what God is like. But as it continues to grow, you you begin to see a a part of the beauty, but, but there's still this stuff out here that's a little bit unclear. So you continue to read and you continue to invest your time and the perspective begins to grow. But it's not until Jesus that the blinders are really taken off and the fullness of the picture is revealed to you. But even in the life of Jesus, when you go through the Gospels, what you will find is those people who, they gave up everything to follow him, even they didn't really understand who Jesus was and what Jesus was about. I mean, you find Jesus engaging with the disciples. Uh, you, you think of Peter who uh, at that moment of great a moment of faith says, Jesus, you are the Messiah. But then when he begins to teach about what's going to happen to him, Peter's like, wait a second, you're reading the wrong book. That's not what's supposed to happen. They themselves didn't understand. And so here's what's important. It wasn't until the end of the story that we really understood the fullness of the story. For the disciples or for us, it's not simply the life and the teachings. It's also the death and the resurrection. It's after that that we see the final picture, the fullness of the glory and the beauty that is God. Jesus in his life and his death and his resurrection, he reveals the full color and texture, the, the full beauty all along the way. What Jesus is doing in his life and his death and his resurrection, all along the way he is saying, this is who God is. And this is what God is like. This is who God is. And this is what God is like. Here's one more way of thinking about it. Some of you wear glasses. Uh, Some of you may have contacts. I I do not, and I find it, my wife does, and I find this fascinating, that she uh, does not experience the same reality when she takes her glasses off. Things become fuzzy. 
uh, to her. Uh, she can't uh, appreciate uh, life around her in the sharpness and focus that she can when she puts her glasses on. Sometimes she takes her glasses off and I forget she doesn't have them on and I show her something and she's like, what are you doing? I have no idea what that is because I don't know what that's like to have that sort of dual reality of needing something to make the world around me come into the focus that she really needs in order to understand and to see. If you have glasses, if you have anything that helps you see, uh, if you've had any sort of surgery to enhance your eyesight, what you have there is a really good picture of who Jesus is for us. Jesus is the one who puts the glasses on and enables us to see the reality of the world around us in a whole new way. When you live your life with those glasses on, the, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, life comes into a different focus than it had before. And these words come into a different focus than they had before. We read the Bible through the lens of Jesus. Here's the big idea. The big idea is that Jesus is the Word within the Word who helps us understand all these words. That's who Jesus is. He is the Word. He is the life. And we find Him within these words. And the reason that He comes is to help us understand all of these words. Jesus is the one who helps us understand all of these words. Now, if that makes you nervous, okay, if you hear that and you think, well, okay, what if I get that wrong? What if I don't quite understand? And what if I miss something along the way? Or maybe it just makes you nervous to think about the idea that something that you find in Joshua, for instance, Joshua, which, which tells the story of Israel's entry into the promised land. Uh, some of you may have read through Joshua before, and you may have found yourself a bit disturbed, because what you find in Joshua is you find Israel coming in and slaughtering everyone who had lived there before. And maybe in the back of your mind, you've thought to yourself, well, gosh, I don't know. What does this mean? Is this what God really wanted? Well, I would invite you to consider that part of what Jesus invites you to do is to think about who really is God. And is it possible that along the way there were some components of God's character that even Israel misunderstood because they didn't have the fullness of the picture that was revealed in Jesus? Now, if you hearing me say that makes you nervous... Let me just invite you to read Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, and Matthew chapter 7. That's the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, here's what Jesus does over and over again. He says, you have heard it said. And he doesn't follow that with, but that was really kind of dumb. We changed our mind. We figured that wasn't a good idea. And we're doing something totally different now. He doesn't say that. He, he describes himself as the fulfillment of what has come before. He says, you have heard it said, but I say to you, which is essentially Jesus saying this, you got the words, but you didn't understand the story. You, you, you heard the message, but you didn't understand its meaning. You heard, we've been blessed by God. Yippee! But you didn't catch 
that what I wanted to do in you was not just for you, but for the entire world. And so because Israel had not lived into that covenant and that calling, what does God do? Does God sit back and say, well, didn't work. Let's go start over somewhere else. No, God sends Jesus. And Jesus over and over again says, this is who God is. And this is what God is like. Next week, we'll talk about, okay, what does that mean for you in your own personal engagement with the scriptures? And then in the final week, we'll talk about wrestling with the Bible. And what, is it, what does that look like to, to maybe put, some of, put this idea into practice a bit and think through how do we, how do we wrestle? How do we wrestle with that? And is, is it uh, actually part of, the, uh, part of the intent of the Bible is to invite us to, to wrestle with that? Let me close with this. I'm going to read to you. You don't have to turn there. You can just write it down. These are some other words that John wrote. This is from 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And what you're going to hear as we close today is you're going to hear John celebrating Jesus. And I want to invite you just to join in that celebration. I want you to think about the way in which Jesus comes to reveal God to you. I want you to think about what you've learned about God because of what you've learned about Jesus. And maybe think about what more you need to learn, what more you need to know, and how, and how Jesus might reveal that to you. Listen, listen to what John says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared We have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we give you thanks for your work for your word and for your life. We thank you for what you reveal to us about God and God's heart. And God, I continue to pray that in my life and the life of all who are here and the life of our entire church family, may you continue, Lord, to increase our confidence and may you continue to increase our desire to learn more about who you are and who God is. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.